Hello, and thank you so much for joining us today at Invisible Not Broken, a chronic illness podcast. Today, I got to talk to Eva, who runs an amazing business called Wellcopia while having fibromyalgia. I will have a link to her page in the show notes. I really recommend going and visiting. We talked all about work-life balance as a startup while being a spoonie, hormones and chronic illness, or leave the salt and chocolate and painkillers at the door, overdoing it, or if you want something done, ask a spoonie on a good day, and what a supportive partner acts like. I hope you adore Eva as much as I do. She might be playing a much larger role in Invisible Not Broken. Check out the blog and sign up for a newsletter for more details. And as always, share us with a friend. My name is Eva Lana. I'm 27 years old. I live in New York City and I have fibromyalgia, hypermobility syndrome, and undiagnosed GI complications. Yeah, when you're writing down some of your symptoms, I'm like, have they checked you for EDS? Because, oh my God. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap, right? There's well, there's a huge amount of overlap, and you know, you're you're young, you're very young. And when I was your age, huh, back then when the dinosaurs were on the earth, um, I had really similar stuff to what you're dealing with, and it developed into all the dislocations. I mean, sometimes I do tell people I have mild EDS because that's uh, I have had a couple others suggest that it's just I've never had a dislocation, you know. <laughs> So uh, there's that, but hypermobility syndrome doesn't mean much to a lot of people because they think, oh, that's a fancy way of saying you're flexible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, like an well, interesting idea. I mean, <laughs> painful flexibility. There's a whole lot of, you know, smashing of the joints and they wanted to diagnose me with osteoarthritis when I was 12, except that's not possible. Oh my God. You too. They sent me to all of those doctors for that. <laughs> uh, I've been tested for lupus, RA, Lyme, MS, like, I don't even know how many times. Did they actually do the spinal for the MS? No, I've never had a, you mean a spinal tap? Yeah. No, I thank God I've never had one. <laughs> I don't remember how they tested, but they tested. Uh, and let's see, my first doctor for all of my chronic pain was when I was 12. Okay. And uh, I wasn't diagnosed with fibromyalgia since, until I was about 20. And so then what did they tell you when you were 12? Sorry? What did they end up telling you when you were 12? Well, they thought I had spondylitis at some point, and I was like, that doesn't make sense at all for me. I don't even I don't know what that is. <laughs> what is spondylitis? Honestly, I don't even remember, but I think it has something to do with curvature of the spine. I don't have scoliosis, um, and it's supposed to um, sort of bring about different kinds of neuropathy and joint pain, and that was clearly not the case. Okay. And diagnosed me with hypermobility syndrome until I was 23. And the diagnosis consisted of, well, you've had a bunch of MRIs and um, x-rays. And the only difference we can find between that and, you know, normal x-rays is that you have a little bit more space between your joints. So how are they, how are they handling this with you? I mean, you must have been in pain. I was, you know, as, as all of us spoonies are, we're like in tons of pain. No one gets us. And they're like, oh, you're fine, according to all the blood tests. And, and I went, screw you. I'm clearly not fine. Like the worst feelings I've ever had were sitting in a doctor's office in agony and having them go, but you're fine. You're the healthiest person. And it's like whenever those tests came back, I always was just waiting with like biting my nails. Is it going to show anything? Yeah, I know it's terrible. It's this duality where you don't really, you don't want a bad diagnosis, but at the same time, you want answers. We well, just want to know you're not crazy. <laughs> every time. And my parents, I know they didn't outright say this, but they wondered if I was like a hypochondriac or something when I was young. Wow. Frank, pretty dramatic teenager. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, um, I understand that feeling. <laughs> did they end up being able to support you or were they, did they have trouble with that? Well, there are people who really write their decisions on facts. Oh. And while fibromyalgia doesn't include a lot of factual diagnoses, when I was diagnosed, um, they were much more serious about uh, taking care of me and understanding when I was limited in my abilities, particularly when we're outside, it's really, really hot or really, really cold, and they know they need to get me comfortable fast and we'll like, pass out. Uh, but, oh, actually, talking about this today, I, uh, I, we split as a birthday present for me right after I was diagnosed, a 
Tempur-Pedic cloud mattress. Oh, how's that working for you? I love it. I love it. <laughs> years now, and I've wanted a Tempur-Pedic mattress since I was, like, since it came out. Uh, I love that this is your so, present. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's an expensive present. I paid for half of it. It uh, is an expensive present, but it, I yeah. mattress that will help you sleep and support your joints, that's, that's pretty awesome. Big thing. Well, they said, what can we do for you? And I said, nothing. It, uh, maybe help me pay for this mattress that I've longed for forever. <laughs> so I, nice. I hear you. For my birthday present, I got a Dyson V7, like one of the battery-operated um, vacuum cleaners, so that I wouldn't dislocate my wrist while I was vacuuming. <laughs> that's, that's good. But, you know, the, the romantic <laughs> gifts get very strange, or like the nice parent gifts get very strange when you're chronically ill. Yeah. Well, the most romantic related gift for me would be, um, soft things. Yeah. I'm, I'm hyper, hyper sensitive. It is actually the most annoying thing. Forget about the pain. I'm sensitive to everything, uh, particularly temperature. And so I like to say I have a non-sexual fetish for soft things. <laughs> uh. <laughs> That's a good one to like, to, uh, define that the non-sexual part yeah. because, um, I'm, well, I'm not going to get into the other stuff. No, but people can look that up on the internet if they really want to try. But yeah, I will go through a store with soft clothes and I'll just like become obsessed with like silky or a fuzzy thing. Um, you sound like I, my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, that's where I lose her. It's either saying shiny or they're saying soft that she's there petting it. it. It actually really is just like the, ooh, something shiny habit. <laughs> I will stop mid conversation and be like, and like touch somebody. Like, oh, it's so soft. <laughs> well, if I ever meet you in person, I will be sure to wear something like soft and fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the opposite is true of um, anything that's not soft. Like, yeah. I'm, I, this is the warmest sweater I have right now that I'm wearing because I'm actually in Buffalo, New York, right now, which is the tundra of yeah. New York. You must be freezing. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cold. Uh, and but but I keep getting like a little bit of a rash on my chest because it's wool. Yeah, that's. Um, um, I understand the rashes too. So since you were diagnosed at twelve, how did that affect your friendships when you were growing up? Did that change how you how active you were or? Oh well, so I was diagnosed at twenty, but I started. It was a very apparent that I had a normal pain by the yeah. age twelve. Uh, but I was a ballet dancer, like a, a very serious ballet dancer from the age of eight to 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, and well, I mean, my friends would make fun of me for stretching all the time, <laughs> which wasn't about my pain. And, and, you know, to be honest, I'm not sure I really talked about my pain as a, as a teenager. Yeah. Maybe because it wasn't validated until I was in college. Uh, and then it's like, it's part of my identity, unfortunately. That's so crazy. It does become a part of your identity. Like being in chronic pain is, it becomes like a marker for you. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I've actually never thought about how it affected my relationships when I was young. I mean, maybe I could go back and ask my friends from high school that I still have. Uh, but I just remember them like making fun of me for ballet dancing and stretching, you know, and that really nice, friendly making fun of someone. Well, I mean, belly dancer with hypermobility means, you know, you're like one step below the Cirque du Soleil people with the yeah. pretzeling. It didn't look that abnormal, though. Yeah. There was, I have um, hyperextended knees and arms, but they don't, they don't look abnormal, but I can feel it. I can feel them sort of, you know, pulling a 180, <laughs> like, in there. Or I guess it's more than that, but yeah. Further than one should go. I can feel yeah. the grinding. Uh, and the pain began very simply with my right shoulder. Uh, I, it, the way I described it, all doctors and even some friends said it sounded like a torn rotator cuff. Okay. There was nothing torn, nothing there. Uh, but I was like, oh, it feels like someone's sawing off my shoulder every so often. It's like random, incredibly sharp pain with also a simultaneous deep ache. Um, and as a ballet dancer, you know, raising my arms up and down, that is, uh, that happens once in a while when you're a ballet dancer. (laughs) Oh, do you know the Swan Lake move? You were a ballet dancer. I was a ballet, I was, yeah. Oh my God. Yes. And after I was a ballet dancer, I went into martial arts and the sensei was the only person who would stretch me out because everyone else is grossed out. (laughs) Oh yeah. You definitely had a much more extreme experience or still do than I do. Uh, 
But actually, it's funny. I did martial arts before ballet. Oh, before we just switched orders. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I rocked the balancing and uh-huh. the the roundhouse kicks. <laughs> oh, I love those. I, I uh, there's one the thing fun. I miss the most about being sick. It's martial arts classes. There was something about like kicking ass and like breaking things and yelling that really spoke to me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like stress relief. You know what? My friends did make fun of me for something. And to this day, we all still, we all still do. Um, I bump into people all the time. I don't have spatial awareness. And my, because my joints are loose, they need to be controlled like they're separate entities. Mm-hmm. Like I need to think about moving my arm before it needs to move. Like specifically in ballet, you got to be on, on the note, right? Yeah. I would try to move it before the note came mm-hmm. so that be there on time. <laughs> Uh, and my friends make fun of me because I'm so clumsy. Yeah. I just fall walking and it's because my knee will give way or there's just a little bit of weakness every so often or I'll drop something and they call it Eva moments. That's cute. It has a name. It's cute. (laughs) Or, or, and honestly, uh, talking about sensitivity, like Mm -hmm. my husband will be like, Oh, you would be sensitive to that. Um, and then on a, on a personal note, on another Another level of personal, uh, this morning we were talking about how I've never had a hangover. Okay, which, I'm jealous. Really? <laughs> no, it doesn't make any sense. I am incredibly neurologically sensitive. Like, I get drunk really easily, um, everything. Uh, but for some reason, if I drink heavily, which is not often, no hangover. I, I'm that. so jealous. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. And Anita, one anytime someone speaks about a hangover, I was like, I'm going to make you really jealous right now. Yeah, I, I would see where that, you know, like forget like the fibromyalgia and how people treat you in college. Like that would be the one that people like, no, no, no fair. <laughs> <laughs> the most I've had is fatigue the next morning. I have woken up still drunk. That's happened. Um, I don't think I've ever even had a fibro flare up, which seems like <laughs> the perfect. <laughs> you have a superhero power. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> so uh, how were you diagnosed with fibromyalgia in your 20? You were 20 when you were diagnosed, right? Yes. How did uh, they get that diagnosis? Well, you know, being the crapshoot diagnosis and the fact that I said to a new neurologist, I was like, uh, well, I don't have this. I don't have this. I don't have this. Mm-hmm. Can you be the one to finally solve my problem? And then he started doing some kind of physical test. Actually, it's been a while now, but, you know, the pain point. Yeah, the trigger point. point. Yeah, and uh, and I had all of them. Yep. <laughs> uh, and he didn't tell me which was good because even though it's not like I would have made it up, but you're hyper aware of them, and if you're hyper aware of part of your body, it's more likely that you'll have pain. Uh, and so I actually had three different di- doctors diagnose me without telling me at the time. Okay. They said, okay, yeah, so you have pretty classic fibro uh, amongst other issues, um, but at the same time, fibro manifests itself differently in everyone. Yeah. So there's some classic, but then uh, I definitely have a bit different neuropathy to most people. Okay. It's hard to say that I have chronic acute pain. Okay. Not chronic pain. So I'm not in pain all the time. I'm just in pain super frequently. Okay. So it's not like a 24-7, but is there like something that flares it or is it just random? It's all random, but can be flared from stress. And if I have an acute stress period, typically from uh, something negative, but can be something positive, I will have a flare up like a few days later where I'm in a ton of pain, um, you know, really sensitive, probably have brain fog and all of that. And I would say, thank God, once a year on average, I have a fibro flare up where I am bedridden. Okay. Well, like it hurts to be alive. Yeah. <laughs> when I try to get people to understand, I say, you know, when you have the flu and you have body aches and it's also that just everywhere is sensitive. It's like that. I believe times 10. I, it's hard to, it's hard to say, but I, I don't want to talk. Like it's, yeah. it's too much, but, uh, thank God that only happens like once a year. And how long does that usually put you under for? I would say only like, you know, two to three days. It's not so bad. I mean, everything's relative. That's, that's what I've learned. So when I talk to people with chronic illnesses that are more intense than mine or they can't work and so on, you know, part of me feels really guilty 
uh, because here I am talking about my chronic issues and it's like, okay, well, I'm not bedridden ridden like every week or all the time. Uh, but it is relative to my life. It obviously puts a burden on my life. It's affected so much of who I am. It's affected my career for the better. Actually. Now, how did that affect your career? Cause like 20 getting a chronic diagnosis, that's the age where you're starting to figure out like, who am I going to be when I grow up? I mean, I'm 40 and I'm still trying to figure it out, but <laughs> I like 20 is like where you're in college or thinking about college or thinking about a place. How did getting a diagnosis at that age steer you? Um, I've always been a little overly ambitious for better or for worse. Uh, that doesn't mean I followed through with it necessarily. <laughs> meant I, I knew what I wanted at the time. I knew we would be good friends. That follow through is always the problem. <laughs> yeah. I've gotten way better at it now. Think, yeah, thankfully things are actually happening, but, um, so I was med school bound. Wow. Like, I finished all of pre-med. I did well. Uh, and it wasn't until a week after, at my graduation party where it dawned on me that I did not want to be a doctor. Oh my God. Tell me what that feeling was like. <laughs> uh, really overwhelming. Uh, and I don't think this is related to chronic issues, but, yeah. uh, the straw that broke the camel's back was I was going for an interview for a, you know, an internship or I think it was a medical assistant job at a, uh, oral surgeon's office. And he actually gave me the job on the spot. We got along really well. And then he said, hey, you should stay and watch what my assistant does during oral surgery. And this patient's awake, you know, but they're under heavy anesthesia. And uh, this assistant is digging away. Oh, no, no, sorry. He's digging away at this person's gum. Oh, my God. You know, this is fine. And I fainted. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to... <laughs> It just came out. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I mean, this is oral surgery. Just oral surgery. Yeah, just even like There's surgery, invasive surgery, but it's something about digging in someone's flesh really hard and washing it. Yeah. He did. He took me to the other room, and he very nicely said, you may want to think about a different <laughs> I can't stop cackling. Oh, my God. <laughs> he didn't know what I was questioning it. Thankfully, I was. Yeah. Oh, that would have uh, been horrible if you hadn't even just started to think about it. <laughs> Yeah, that was a difficult moment. And I did, um, some of my friends who were in medical or going to medical, no, in medical school said to me, don't worry, you can get over it. It's not natural for people to want to see insides of people and stabbing or whatever. <laughs> um, but I, I decided to use that as my, I, okay, go card. Like you're allowed to put this on the shelf. Uh, but I married a doctor. Okay. So that part of my life, uh, <laughs> my interests. Um, and then I got a master's in nutrition science after that. Uh, but in relation to my career and, and possibly doing medicine, one of the reasons was I had heard over and over again that there's nothing like going through med school, uh, at least academically. And I have a stress rooted illness. Uh, and while I, I, I'm pretty sure I could rise to the occasion and most do, I didn't want to put my body through that. It, seemed like way too much. I didn't know what would happen. And my health and my happiness is so imperative. Well, it should be for everyone, but yeah. I'm aware of how imperative it is. <laughs> well, for most people, it doesn't necessarily mean like whether they can walk or not on whether they're happy or stressed. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, even my husband told me and he's wanted to be a doctor since he was five. Oh, he's, yeah. He want, he said he's a pediatrician and he said when he was five that he wanted to be a kid's doctor. This sounds like one heck of a guy. He is one heck of a guy. I could talk about him for like a good two hours or something. So we'll decide if we want to touch that. We, we, we will get to that, but not for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> so did it help you to have this background in nutrition and medicine? I'm always curious because whenever I talk to doctors, I have like low level panic attacks. And like, does it help that you've like seen behind the curtain? You know, like you've been to Oz, you've gone behind the curtain, seen the wizard and you know what's going on. Or does this give you any sort of heads up? Yeah, it does. It definitely helps. I'm not totally in the dark. Uh, it's also hard to tell, though, because I've been unofficially studying um, these different kinds of chronic illnesses since I was tested for all of them, uh, unofficially t uh, studying nutrition yeah. um, since I was young. So what came from academics and what came from just me being curious about my life, you know, it's hard, it's hard to know. But definitely... Like, my, my master's was essentially biochem, and that's helped a lot. 
For sure. I, I can only begin to imagine. I wouldn't even know what to ask about that. Hormonal studies, meta, like, yeah, anything with uh, testing various hormones or okay. something related to my metabolism, because I basically, I guess it was a degree in bio, like, biochemical metabolism. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's had its place. Because fibromyalgia can have some pretty big swings with hormones. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, not for me. I mean, um, it seems that way, but at least in terms of tests, yeah, always been normal, which is really frustrating. Oh, my God. I, I, mm, preach. <laughs> yeah. Well, but particularly for me because temperature is such an issue. Mm-hmm. And it's often hormonally driven, so... That's always been a mystery to me. We don't know why temperature is such a problem. I've already, I was freezing when I walked in this room. Yeah. I'm really hot now. I play with my hair constantly because, and it's not because I'm one of those girls who plays with their hair, but because I am really hot right now, I got to put my hair up. Ugh. Yeah, I get the like almost hot flash feelings. It's Absolutely. Yeah. Hot. And that's not just because I'm 40. It's been for a long, long time. Oh, they started at 15 for me. There's yeah. definitely. No relation to menopause. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like, I, I'm sorry if I'm too much information, but like even now, like the week before my period, forget it. I don't even talk to me. I'm done. My husband will just like kind of throw a chocolate and salt near me and just like back slowly away. And it's not just like the like ragey stuff. It's like I, my um, fibro will flare up and my EDS gets miserable. My pots, like all of it just starts playing. And yeah, it's a nightmare with hormones. Weather is a big one. Yeah. The shift uh, in New York from basically summer to a roaring winter has been a throw for sure. Yeah, this climate change thing has um, been unintentionally awful for all of us Phoenix. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, wait, you're in California. I'm right? in California, and we're, it went like 90 degrees all the way until about a week ago, <laughs> and now it's into like the 60s and 50s. Oh, that is a really big change. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're not as bad as the East Coast. We don't get, like, hurricanes or anything. But, it, yeah, we're, we're kind of snobby out here. We don't even get that cold. But we're wimps. So if it's, like, 50, we're all chattering and pitiful. Oh, well, <laughs> my, my husband is uh, in the midst of interviewing for fellowships right now all over the country. Oh, and, exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. He's going actually into gastroenterology for pediatrics, which is very appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, the uh, more, maybe another one would have been endocrinology, but like <laughs> that would be uh, really uh, helpful. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I love that you're going to nutrition. Yes, it or GI. Yes, it's for kids, but you know, related. Uh, so you know, he's looking all over the country, but he took me into the decision making for interviewing uh, because I have to, you know, get up and go wherever he goes. Yeah, and you have to survive wherever you're living. <laughs> yep. Um, so he was very accommodating and didn't apply anywhere south. Nice man. <laughs> yeah. Even though obviously I would love warmth, um, too much heat I literally can't handle yeah. because as gross as it sounds, I tend to say you can put on more clothes, you can't take off your skin. Yep. So. <laughs> I, I can't function yeah. after 80 degrees. It's just over. <laughs> yeah, it's a big problem, especially if it's humid. Like mm -hmm. he loves Texas and I was like, I'm sorry, honey, that will never oh. happen. Oh. Who who actually like oh no, I, I can't say I, I listeners in Texas so sorry it's really your laws and your politicians but um. just yeah um, and also uh, side note is that my mom is British and British like hopped off the boat yesterday wow kind of posh and so the idea of Texas to her she couldn't handle it she oh, was like yeah. she's a you know Miss Tea Time so where would be like ideal climate for you. Uh, probably actually dry places in California. Oh, well, you know, I, I'll show you around if you come out here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. He applied to one place with San Diego and he got an interview there. Oh. So he, he did actually apply to all places in California because that was the only area I was like, okay, I'd yeah. be in that. I mean, if you're it, from somewhere other than California, our weather is awesome. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I was just born and raised here, so I'm spoiled. Well, that's great. I'm glad that you're in a good place for weather at the very least. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, the other side of that is he applied to everywhere in, like, the Northeast and Midwest, and so the weather is, like, New York or worse. Yeah. 
Uh, and we'll find out on December 13th officially, but it seems like Chicago is a good possibility. Um, but we really don't know. It's a matching process. Anyway, uh, I'm going to be getting some heavy-duty winter clothes and upgrade regardless. So how's all this stress working for you? Are you just are you planning a wedding or you just got married? Uh, I'm actually half married. Oh, that's right. I, my husband. Yes, I'm half <laughs> married. Uh, we are religiously married. We got married on Memorial Day this past year. And then we're having like a big legal ceremony uh, in a full Memorial Day this coming year. So we're our one-year anniversary will also be our wedding day. Oh, that's exciting. Well, I hope your fiber, like, unflares for all the wedding planning stuff. Yeah, I, I'm hoping that's true, too. I think when I'm happy, it's often at bay or not that intense. But then again, I have had a couple flare-ups from, you know, really, like, profoundly amazing news. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so it's possible, but I hope not. Maybe being half-married helps. <laughs> You're easing into the excitement. Because <laughs> uh, I already call him husband and all that, but I'm going to take his name. I'm going to wear a wedding ring. I'm gonna, we're going to move. So This is a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. I have to say all of that together might. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> you just need to add a puppy into the mix, and then you're all set. <laughs> we're getting a cat next week, actually. Oh, that'll be lovely. <laughs> I'm excited. They're soft. Yes, they are very, well, it depends on the cat, but mine are, yeah. both my cats are very, very snuggly. He is a, a cat we have met virtually and have been uh, told is like the best cat anyone's ever met. Uh, cute kitten, soft, tabby, and uh, very well behaved and loving. So I said, okay, sounds like a good fit for our growing family. So one of the things I keep getting asked about from people who are have like, chronic illness is how did this work with your dating life when you were dating? Did you tell people, uh, did you, how, it's, this is like all in the forums. There's like the forums are divided with like all of us married with kids going, how are we going to make it through the day with kids? And then the other half are like the younger people going, how do we date? Yeah. I mean, I had it better off than a lot of people I've heard since, well, one, it's invisible, which is great. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I'm just going to talk about when I met my husband because I honestly don't remember with a lot of the others. No worries. Go with the guy who's, um, who's the one who's staying yeah. <laughs> good. I'm, I'm sure there were issues. I just don't remember them. Nothing really stands out in my mind. Uh, but my husband and I met in August, uh, and actually it was one of those times where I was playing with my hair a lot, and he told me several months later he thought I was flirting with him. <laughs> See, it worked for you. <laughs> with my hair and I was like, nah, it's real hot. <laughs> uh, but, and, and I wish I remembered this, but I know like if it was a first date or not, but I remember I told him really early and okay. it might've been the first date possibly because he's a doctor slash he has GI issues also makes sense why he's going into. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there was our fourth date, which we will never forget. Um, thankfully he was dating me and not some other girl cause he was scared of away, but he like laid it all out on the table. He started asking me questions about being an entrepreneur and chronic pain. And basically he wanted to know, are you in the running? Which, <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Which really thank God it was me and not someone else. Cause I don't think another girl would have liked that, but I, I was ready. I'm like, I am looking for the right person. So I would like to know real fast if you are, or you are not. So for the entrepreneur, was that for him or for you? Because I know you're running your own business now. No, it's for me. Yeah. So we were at, um, we were at a Yankee game and we started <laughs> having this really intense conversation uh, baseball games are not so bad for dates, actually, because you can actually talk. I, I find baseball so utterly dull that I probably would have, like, the best dates there. <laughs> yeah, that's won't lie. That was pretty much the same with me at the time. <laughs> but he's a Yankee lover. Um, yeah, so he, I started telling him more about my career because he just vaguely knew I was an entrepreneur. And I think I said something about, uh, you know, Wellacopia being my baby. And he said he's a pediatrician. Yeah. He, he wants kids as do I. And so he was really nervous asking all these questions like, will you be able to handle it with your chronic pain? Do you want kids? And I said, of, of course I want kids. It's <laughs> just, I don't have them right now. So this is my baby <laughs> currently. Uh, but yeah, it was definitely a major consideration for him. And thankfully, not only did he accept it, but he is ridiculously supportive 
doesn't complain about it for a minute. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I found the perfect guy for me on many levels, but I can't think of enough. And so he, and he's like prepared for pregnancy and postpartum knowing that it might be particularly difficult for me. Wow. Well, he is, pl- is he planning ahead? He's planning ahead. Oh God. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to back way off on this discussion and um, we'll switch over to something else. Okay. I've been maternal since I was two, but you know, that, that time in my life is looming <laughs> and as someone with a, a chronic condition or chronic conditions and someone who's trying to grow a new startup. It's yeah. a little overwhelming. I mean, a new startup is, I've run two businesses and oh my God, the first three years, <laughs> I will take newborns over a new business. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I love it because it's what drives me and I'm sure kids actually will too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a lot to think about right now and, and stress. I won't lie. So that's the, the biggest issue is thinking about how I handle stress now. And while it's significantly better than it used to be, um, I've got to upgrade my coping because <laughs> I can see when I like almost have like breakdowns now yeah. or I'm reaching my limit. And I think about adding children on top of this or just, you know, the business growing and, and the problems becoming bigger than by themselves. Yeah. Uh, so but reality is I chose it. <laughs> you did. And that's, there is a lot to be said for that too. I mean, to make that decision and to move forward with something that was your choice that you, you created, that's, that's big. I wouldn't change it for the world. I will say that. So I'm going to ask you more about Wellcopia, but first I just want to ask, what does supportive look like for you? What does he do that feels supportive? Well, generally speaking, and this may be us regardless, uh, we are incredibly loving and doting. Uh, it wouldn't have worked with us if we weren't both equally that way. We, we say, I love you multiple times a day, very genuinely, uh, you know, very physically affectionate, lots of hugs, um, holding hands. I, I'm very sensitive. So, um, I, uh, he does something that I call smoothing, something my mom did growing up, which is like a really light, that sort of tickling rubbing. Mm-hmm. And it feels like heaven. I, I will become <laughs> like a dog when you scratch their belt. You know? It's like, oh, <laughs> that's so cute. <laughs> that it's so temperature, the huge thing. Um, and actually this is a, a, a big, a big thing that happened last year. A, uh, so he, both of us love to travel, mm-hmm. which we can talk about the difficulties with traveling. Um, but he's obsessed with carnival in Brazil. He's oh gone. To, <laughs> I don't know how many people do that multiple times. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I can't remember how many days, but it's like, I don't know, four to six days of, dancing and drinking and, and just absolute mayhem, uh, in sweltering heat mm-hmm. and, and all these people in your face. And it does sound like the most fun ever. And he's a big partier, but, uh, he, he would t- tell me about it. And in, and in some ways I was like, Oh, that sounds fantastic. Once in a lifetime experience, got to do it. And then I started acting, asking more detailed questions, asking my friends about it. And it seemed like there was no way I was going to survive that. Maybe, maybe not even for an hour. Um, And so he took, he planned over a year in advance, taking off vacation from his residency specifically for Carnival in Brazil. We had a place to stay. It was all going to work out. And I said to him, I won't be able to do it. And we can go to Brazil, but I'm not going to join, join you in Carnival stuff. Uh, and so he gave it up for us to go on another trip. Wow. Um, and that meant the world to me. I felt terrible because I wanted to do it in theory also. Yeah. Uh, but I said, like, you, we need to go into this with the, um, like, being prepared for the fact that I may come and go. Like, yeah. <laughs> like a, a little exposure being like, this is cool, and go back home. And in Brazil, in Rio, I don't think you want to just leave by yourself or at least I don't want to do that no but what a loving gesture I and mean, that's that's yeah. where you could really feel like you trust someone yeah because he totally could have just gone on his own um born be like okay well you can go do this during the day while I go party or whatever and not nah, he was like I'm not doing this without you and I understand oh but, I can see why you are head over heels <laughs> yeah no he is 
one of the most considerate people, not the most considerate person I've ever met in my life. Uh, so calm. He doesn't stress me out at all. He, I don't even think he does this on purpose. But sometimes I want to yell because he won't yell. He's not passive either. He's very direct, <laughs> logical. And I'm like, why are you so calm? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously very family oriented as am I, uh, the fact that he talks about the future and wants kids is a huge deal. A lot of men don't talk about that or their feelings. He'll even talk about his feelings. He's some cross between a mush ball and a manly man. So for you, do you, does he talk to you about how you're feeling or like, does, does he ask, do you want him to ask? Hmm. Does he ask? He can read me really well. So he might ask because there is actually something. It's not necessarily periodically he asks. It's just he can – I probably wear my emotions on my face really pretty consistently or I'm very high energy. So when I'm not, he's like, what's going on? Uh, and, and he's fine with me just telling him what's going on. I think maybe once or twice in our whole relationship has he made a remark about me feeling pain. And it wasn't like a snide remark, and then I'll apologize. And he says, no, don't apologize for it. I've just noticed that you've been in a lot, a lot of pain lately, and I'm sorry to hear that. Wow. Yeah, I, I always make the apologies, too. And part of it is that I don't work anymore. And that's been that's been very, um, as the raging feminist that I am, <laughs> that's been a really big change for my husband and I. And, yeah, the the ability to read the pain levels is incredibly helpful to not have to yeah. To say he's he just very he is very accommodating to um the you know the uh the random support that I need like I mean like I said temperature is a big one um walking around like I need to sit um I need an extra coat. <laughs> he I don't know he's just incredibly giving. He'll do whatever he can. So what are some of the things that you do need to get through the day? Do you, are you, you aren't using canes or walking. Um, do you have, how do you manage pain? Thank God I don't. Um, and actually, thankfully I don't need painkillers most of the time. Okay. Uh, and, and not because I don't feel the pain. It's because it's short lived. It's anywhere from like 30 seconds to 30 minutes. Uh, unless it's a deep ache that I'm feeling all day that can happen. And I'll take like Advil, um, or some other anti-inflammatory, but the, the medicine, like any kind of painkiller, won't work until the pain is gone. Okay. So therefore, you know, I could never be addicted to, to pain medication, which obviously there's a huge opioid epidemic, uh, because it, it wouldn't make sense for me. The pain is gone by the time it kicks in. Okay. That's... Or sleep over the counter stuff. I don't know a lot about... Sorry. Releasing next week our panel on... Um on pain meds. So by the time this comes out, that'll be the week before. So everyone will have heard it already. Perfect. Uh, yes, we have a lot of talk about that because I have, um, I have to take opioids every day. So yeah, I I still do not understand anyone taking it for fun. I wish someone would explain it to me. I feel like I'm missing out, but it's um, fun though. That's what I don't get. Some of it is for fun. Absolutely. But isn't it addiction as addiction? Like a lot of people have it because of pain. So the the numbers are interesting if you actually look at the real numbers instead of like what you're hearing on on the radio. Um, the number of people who are addicted after prescription who did not have addiction issues prior is one percent. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the the numbers get really skewed for a really good news story, <laughs> but I won't lie. I have not done my research on no, it, so I don't even worry about it. And it's, we can totally avoid this topic completely and move on to your business because I'm really interested in it. And I'm so, um, I can't wait for it to come out to California. Thanks. We're, we're interested to see how it's going to scale and the best ways to do it, um, in areas one at a time. But anyway, uh, so I guess a little, little intro on Wellacopia is it's a matching app for healthcare relationships so uh, it helps people with chronic illnesses like you and I yeah. find the most compatible practitioners, both wellness and medical. Uh, and I really compare it to a dating site because if you want to understand, you know, what it looks like, uh, I literally built it off of OkCupid, or you could say That's Match.com. Fantastic. And it was so pretty. Like you actually did a really good job with the UI. 
Thank you. Me and my CTO, Marius, who is a dream come true. There is nothing like having a good business partner by your side. Like, Kuros saves my sanity so often. <laughs> oh, he definitely saves my sanity. Uh, so as you can tell, like, I'm a little insane sometimes. <laughs> and I was not getting that. I was getting energetic, but not insane. <laughs> energetic, smooth, dramatic, whatever. It's fine. I own it. Uh, but, like, got married twice this year, you could say. Got married to my CTO legally. Yeah. <laughs> and my husband and I am incredibly lucky to have both of them as my partners in life. Um, but yeah, it's very equally, uh, Marius and myself that created this. I like to say I create, he builds, you know, just because like, I couldn't do this podcast without Kiros, like having another person when you're chronically ill, help you do some, like just even to know I could hand it off if I needed to. That's kind of the only way I could do it. Do you have um, any other hacks as being an entrepreneur and chronic illness on how you deal with everything that needs to get done for running? Is It's like um, people think you only have one boss when you work for yourself, but it's like, no, 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 no. You've got hundreds of bosses and there is no time off. Yeah. So uh, delegation, I mean, really is key. Um, so I have two interns, uh, one who in particular is my sidekick, Julia, and, uh, when I'm also in a, in a state where there's like a lot of fiber fog, too tired, have to do X, Y, or Z, uh, she is there for me. She's actually there for me all the time, but, uh, particularly at those points. And then there's also when I am in a really good space, when I'm extremely energetic or driven, I do, oh, wow. Like it could be a week's worth of work sometimes in those, in those periods, uh, yeah, unfortunately, the evenings are really bad for me. My brain starts to go. Uh, and as an entrepreneur, I will say that is the biggest difficulty with the chronic illness is it is technically a 24-7 job. You always have to be on. You have to say, like, you know, no weekends, not enough playtime. I mean, I actually still allow them in completely. I will totally admit that uh, because my mental health is so important to making this work. But I definitely work less, I will admit, than most tech entrepreneurs in particular um, I, because I, I can't, I want to produce phenomenal work. And there have been so many times where I've gone back on what I said, uh, to Marius when, like I said, okay, we're going to create it this way. Or like, this is what the algorithm is going to be. And then I just totally forgot where I was too out of it when I made those decisions. And he's like, that is not what you were saying before. And I forgot, or I just was not in the right mindset. Um, so that has, that has been a bit of an issue. Or if I gave myself a deadline or told him I'd have this done so you could, so you could continue building. Um, and I was like, I just couldn't work last night. I'm really sorry. And he's completely understanding too, of course. So do you, how do you handle Because like when I was running my business, I had to go to do all the evening networking meetings. So I would have, um, I'd always have my iPhone on me and I had all these apps and note taking apps that I would just be able to like kind of remind myself who is this person what am I doing I was so excited for Google Glass when it was like it could have been a thing and I'm like oh my god it would photograph the person I'm talking to and it would pull up like the last time I talked to them and I would actually know who I'm talking to and I wouldn't have to look like a total spaz I I will anyway but (laughs) I was so excited for the idea and then I guess Google Glass is um something else right now but what do you use for handling fibro fog and all the networking meetings that's funny do you know what? That has not been an issue for me. Actually, just like right now. Uh, so, you know, I messaged you before this uh, that I was having a lot of fiber fog this morning. Um, and both and, of us are. So I'm really impressed we've been able to do this well. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the performer in me. Maybe maybe yourself. But I have such an incredible uh, adrenaline boost anytime I perform, whatever that means, whether it be an interview or networking, literally going on stage, phone call. Uh, sometimes it takes me a few minutes. I've had moments, um, actually an interview a few months ago where I had terrible fibro fog in the beginning. And then I compared myself to how I was at the end, like girl boss all the way. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag girl boss. Yes. (laughs) Uh, yeah. So, uh, so it helps. It helps. Um, I, I live for performing. Honestly, I'm sure that's closely tied into why I became an entrepreneur because you are a performer when you, um, yeah. That's you have a to beautiful way to phrase that. And, uh, I, I, uh, been doing it since before I was even a dancer ingrained. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was a photographer, just um, the photo shoots, I really would not feel much pain during the shoot. It was afterwards that I was like in a small ball, <laughs> whimpering. And my husband's like, you're not going to move for two weeks. Like the last photo shoot I did, I ripped my ligament through my arm. I'm, I'm pointing at this like no one's going to see this except for you. Oh but um, yeah, I, I ripped the ligament apart because I dislocated my wrist so badly holding a baby and like putting the baby down for a photo shoot. And that was, I think, one of the last photo shoots I did. And he was like, you cannot keep doing this. I know you don't hurt during it, but it's the after stuff. Absolutely. I am uh, really mentally exhausted after stuff like that, for sure. Um, I actually, I still don't know what this is. I've never really talked to a doctor, but when I do really high intensity interval training or just something that is really out of the scope of my typical practice with working out or dancing, the next day I will have bruises all over my body, not from direct impact. Yeah. Yeah. They're just like, I don't know. I think just broken blood vessels from stressing out my body. My mom likes to say that I have small tubes. (laughs) I don't really know what that means, but I guess just anything that is tube-like in my body is tiny. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I totally understand. I have um, veins the width of an infant. So like butterfly to me means like, like I start hiding my arms because every like butterfly is a needle. Uh, oh, and of course, when I, uh, taking blood or, um, inserting an IV, very difficult mm-hmm. for me. Uh, and of course I'm sensitive. So if you're getting an IV, you're probably sick. I'm probably having a flare up and then they have to j- jab me seven times. That has happened Yeah, a number of times, seven times and then they give up do they I love it when they're just like I don't know I'm always good at this and I'm like yeah but not today today. (laughs) I went someone who is that'd be good yeah it was in like an emergency room and I felt bad the first time this happened where it took multiple tries I was pissed and I just looked at him and said have you done this before (laughs) (laughs) I like that you get aggressive I get like so not I get Bambi like big eyes and I just start whimpering and it's I need to get more aggressive with them and tell them to go away from me I'm a New Yorker it's that's what I need more of my dad's a New Yorker and he was like you would never survive in New York honey you're just too smiley it wouldn't be good I I think I have uh, a shift my personality on the streets like if so people bash New York for being like a mean city but my theory, or at least what I've experienced, is if you talk to a New Yorker, they're really nice. But if you just pass them on the street, there's no verbal communication. They give you death stares and don't give a shit about you. <laughs> they just uh, go on with their day. They'll take your seat, whatever it may be. Um, every time I've spoken to a New Yorker, they open up. And it's like you could see their whole face change. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, on the street, I'm, I'm definitely that way, too. I'm I'm not just blaming others. Now, for you, because, like, no one can see you except for me, but you are absolutely adorable, and no one would look at you and go, okay, she's sick. Um, How does that affect you? Like, do you you get people giving you a seat on the subway? If you take a seat, do you get in any – have you had any problems with, like, needing help and people looking at you going, no, you're you're fine? I have – it's been countless times I've thought of asking someone to get up. Countless. Uh, one time I even thought about pretending to be pregnant. <laughs> that, that could work. I was just, like, they'll get that more. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, oh, like, well, I try to look green around the gills and make a few like gulping yeah. sounds and they'll, they'll definitely move. <laughs> and then I also feel guilty because frankly, I wear heels pretty often, like thick heels, not like stilettos. So if, if I say my joints hurt, they'll be like, well, that's your fault. <laughs> uh, but I'm actually very comfortable in heels because of ballet. So for yeah. me, that actually feels, I will trip way more in flats than I do heels. Um, but, but getting back to your question, um, the closest I've done to that is I'll take something really quickly or maybe ask as someone's about to. So technically they might be like in the first come first serve situation, but I'm close and be like, I'm sorry, can I please sit? I'm in a lot of pain. And they don't question it. Oh, that's nice. It's nice. Maybe it's cause I'm a girl. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not gonna, and, but I feel guilty. I do. Now, I haven't done that to an old person, and there have been, you know, countless times I've dealt with it. Sometimes, I won't lie, I put on a bit of a grimace and see if someone offers. 
I've tried it, that before. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. <laughs> well, it was a theory I was testing out. I have um, I use a wheelchair a lot of the times, and on the street there's a whole group of um, people protesting, and um, they were handing out flyers for their church and they were all very clear that they were in the right to believe what they believed. And I was just curious what would happen as I knew I was going to have trouble getting up the little ramp. So I was like, if I look really struggling, is someone going to stop one of these lovely Christian people stop and help me? Because that would be nice, but I'm kind of curious. So I actually had it work a little harder and I was there for a minute. No one even, he looked at me twice and then he just kept walking away. <laughs> Um, are there are there a lot of people in wheelchairs where you live? No, no not, not but you see them. No, and honestly, you wouldn't see me in a wheelchair out on the streets either because it's so dangerous. The um, the grade for going from um, sidewalk, you can so tell I'm fibro fog. I'm like, <laughs> where are my words? I know them. They're vocabulary. Um, I- going from street to um, curb to street is so steep and there's always a lip. So I've fallen out of my chair and the, um, going up ramps to get to the doors there, nothing's really ADA compliant. Like they are, but it's so dangerous. I usually just use my canes. New York's exactly the same. And while it wasn't, um, fiber related, you could say it was joint related. I, I broke my ankle in, um, on April 2nd this past year. Trying on my mom's wedding dress, by the way. So that oh. was okay. <laughs> at least it was a sweet reason. <laughs> yeah, it was. I was so happy. I was running down the stairs because it fit perfectly, and uh, and then I, and then I broke my ankle. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, so maybe that's related to the clumsiness, hypermobility. I'm not sure. Um, but regardless, I live in the city, and I had to have a wheelchair. Yeah. Because uh, I was not going to hop all around the city on um, crutches. Uh, and I realized that honestly, I did not see a single person for that entire month in a wheelchair, except really a homeless person. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, okay, so I guess if you become disabled, you leave New York, uh, or you're wealthy enough to afford cabs everywhere, which was a huge expense by the way. Uh, yes. <laughs> I visited your city once and it was very expensive yeah. with the Uber. <laughs> oh Yeah. Oh, oh, and so as for sidewalks, uh, I then realized that New York is definitely not flat mm-hmm. at all. Sidewalks are not flat, um, treacherous, and some people did help me, uh, but you know, there I am with a broken leg, so it's a little bit more like, well, this girl clearly is, <laughs> um, as we say in Yiddish, nebuch. <laughs> oh, I don't get to hear Yiddish enough out here. <laughs> I miss my grandma now. <laughs> Schleppen, Schwitzen, all the things I do. <laughs> so well, we're almost- I need to make like a gif or or something like a post about fibro feeling like like schlepping twenty four seven. Please do that. That would be adorable. <laughs> I, would, I would share the hell out of that. Yeah, I like that. Okay, on my to do list. <laughs> so we're getting close to the end. Is there anything you want to talk about about your day that we haven't covered, or things that make your life easier to get around or move around with fiber? I know you're not um, using any mobility aids, but is there anything that would make things easier for you? Uh, being well for me because temperature is such a big thing. Always being prepared. I, I mean, small thing. I always have a hairband with me, but now for my hair actually, so I, it's just in a bun right now. I didn't put anything. Yeah, in I it. saw. I'm I'm actually really impressed. That was skills. <laughs> so personally, I mean, that's that's a big one for me um, because comfort is absolute key. Uh, I carry around, um, like I do carry around Advil with me at all times uh, because sometimes it's so bad where it could ruin my day. And that's, that's the extreme case, again, when I have joint pain throughout the day. Um, I, uh, I also honestly take a Vyvanse, which is usually for ADD. I don't really have ADD. Um, it's for fibro fog. Maybe I shouldn't be saying this on air. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I actually but- take something very similar. <laughs> A doctor prescribed me. <laughs> yeah, I, I take something very similar for the fibro fog, and I should take it more often, but it interacts with my pots too. So I'm like, ah, maybe not right now. <laughs> I take it really infrequently. It's like when I need it, yeah. when I, I am not going to be functioning. And of course, it's this vicious cycle where um, it's often because I'm stressed. So um, I, I take this medication. Oh, sorry. Nope, got confused. Um, <laughs> we're all doing great here with our fibro fog. <laughs> it's a stressful situation. Let's say like I first started getting them when I was at my master's 
And when I'm stressed, I get fibro fog. And that's the opposite of what you want to happen when you're stressed. It means you need to pay attention to something. Yeah. So because that was really detrimental um, to school and just, I guess, life in general, uh, that's why I was prescribed. She said, look, it's the lowest dose. I don't take it every day, and, and it's fine. But so that is something I bring around. I bring around those two, like a few of them, in an um, eye with a contact case. That is brilliant. I like that. That is a life hack we're going to, like, definitely put in the blog because that's, I'm always looking for cute ways to bring my pills with me. Mm-hmm. Oh, and blood sugar issues. I'm not... You know, blood sugar, I don't know what it is, but when I'm hungry, everything's exacerbated. Everything. Mm-hmm. So I bring a, um, around, like, I think it's a, uh, like, a dressing size container yeah. uh, of nuts, of, like, organic mixed nuts that I put together so that I'm never starving. So yeah, I can have those, some good ideas here. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, um, I've had clients lose weight on just that. I think I lost weight on just picking up that. <laughs> Because you don't enter your home or go to a restaurant starving and want just the like the most comforting thing. So if anyone's just interested in weight loss, that's a it's a serious tip. <laughs> that's I'm I will try that. <laughs> yeah, and I won't go into detail because this could be a long conversation. But uh, nutrition and exercise, any kind of um, exercise movement, um, and there's you know there's particular types for EDS, for instance. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I I see them as a must. What is your favorite kind of movement for your fibro? Pilates. Yeah? Actually, it's more so for my hypermobility because my hypermobility, if that acts up, will exacerbate the fibro. So uh, (laughs) they are separate, but they also overlap. Um, Pilates is massive because, I mean, I need to stabilize my joints. Um, and it's also related to ballet. So, but I recommend that to everyone mm-hmm. and you feel strong in your whole body. You don't need any equipment. There's a million videos online. And if you have a particular illness, it is likely that, um, there are specialized videos or research on it. If there aren't come ask me, cause I feel like I'm really good at finding that stuff. Or I, might well, I will I'll ask you to get me some links for your, um, for the blog page for you. Oh yes, Absolutely. Um, and so I guess, uh, so I am a nutrition scientist, by the way. So, um, I love answering it. Any questions you have, um, on, cause I, I specialize in, in various forms of, uh, autoimmune illnesses, um, and also cancer. Wow. Okay. So for everyone listening to the podcast, I will be talking to her about some things that she might be able to do for the blog for advice. Yeah. I'd love to do that. Uh, and if I'm allowed to just mention something about Wellacopia, please. Absolutely. So, um, we launched, uh, just a couple months ago. Uh, we already have 200 people on the platform, which is amazing. And really. Kyrus and I. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, you went on. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, and it's a really loving community. It's growing because we're new. Uh, but it's got a lot of spoonies on there. There's been um, a lot of people with autoimmune and other invisible illnesses uh, flocking to the site, which is great because Wellacopia was built um, to foster relationships. It's not like another, you know, doctor database. It's a, it's a matching platform like one would be, one would have for dating. So thinking about finding the right um, practitioner for you, not just your illness, but also you as a person. So like you and I both know this, the struggles that we all face as spoonies with, uh, finding a doctor that not only gets us, but treats us the way we want to be treated. Um, and wants to build a long-term relationship because we're never going to see that doctor once ever. Uh, and so that's what was really my pain point that I wanted to address. And also as a nutritionist, I wanted to find clients that were right for me. Because, yeah, I could probably treat anyone, but I want my, my clients to come out with phenomenal resor- results. For us to have a really solid relationship where they trust me and actually do what I suggest or aren't afraid to combat me with other ideas or um, saying they're not comfortable with something. I mean, basically, it's, well, it's not actually our slogan. Uh, the idea is better healthcare relationships for better healthcare outcomes and quality of life. That's also incredibly smart of you with um, being a Spoonie is making sure your clientele, a Spoonie entrepreneur needs to make sure that your clientele is not going to drive you into massive flare-ups. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> it's happened. I oh yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hear you so well. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've hit an hour. So I'm going to ask you the last question, which is always my favorite. Um, your favorite swear word. Yours. Mine. Fuck. Yeah. Yes. It's a, God, it's a good one. It's a really good one. <laughs> and I tend to use it in a positive light or like in a funny way. I'm not like, fuck that. Or <laughs> just like, fucking awesome. Well, it depends. If you get me talking about politics, it gets really like, fuck that gets really, really loud and angry. But for everything else, it's, it's definitely fun. (laughs) Well, won't lie. In the last year, my reaction to politics has been so intense. It's like when your dad gets angry at you and is so disappointed that they don't say anything. Oh my God. I think that Kira saw you do another panel on like how this administration has affected all of us little spoonies, like how it's just gotten our stress levels through the roof. But we are not going to start that conversation now because I will never (laughs) shut up. But it has been so great talking to you. Thank you so much for listening to Invisible Not Broken this week and for being as patient with my fibrofog as Eva was. Please join us next week. Hit subscribe, say wonderfully nice things about us on iTunes, and share the episode with someone who has fibromyalgia. Until next week, be kind, be gentle, and be a badass.